Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Christy from Manitoba, Canada. Christy has free birthed all three of her children. She shares the story of how she registered for a midwife with her first pregnancy and quickly discovered she wanted to opt out of that system and instead be the leader of her own experience. We talk about lotus birth, using fertility awareness method for conceiving, and intuitive self-prenatal care. My name is Christy, and I live in Manitoba, Canada, right in the middle of the prairies. I was pregnant with my first son uh, 12 years ago, and I had always known that I wanted to have a home birth. I always knew that I would want a midwife. So um, in our, like the province where we live, midwifery is uh, legislated, so it's it's regulated and it's free. It's a free care for people, which is, you know, sounds amazing. But, you know, what I realized through my journey of being pregnant with my first son that came with a lot of other, um, other stuff that I wasn't super into as I, uh, realized. So I had two midwives assigned to me. I would go visit them for some prenatal care. Um, I knew I didn't want any ultrasound, so I never had one, um, they did use a Doppler at the beginning, and then I read up that, you know, Dopplers maybe give away, like, a stronger frequency than ultrasound. So I didn't want them using the Doppler anymore either. So the one midwife who I didn't um, resonate with at all was not super into it. In fact, one of my last appointments that I had with her right at the beginning, she just took it out and put it on my belly. Whoa. And I was really taken aback, and I said can you please not do that? Um, I've decided to not use that anymore. Like you'd use the fetoscope and she wasn't into that really. She didn't really know how to use it. Maybe it didn't make her feel comfortable. So I had told my other midwife, I'm not into that woman's care. Um, I actually don't want her at my birth. I don't want her energy in my birth space. And so I was able to kind of drop her and I carried on with the, the other one. And she was fine with using the using the fetoscope. It was actually kind of funny because she lived in my neighborhood at the time. And so I would see her walking. So we didn't actually officially go with her normal protocol for pregnant women as far as making the appointments and me showing up um, because I would see her on walks. And she'd be like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's cool. totally fine. So it's kind of funny because, like, already in my head, I was like, okay, well, I fired one midwife already. I'm going to have this other one. Um, I wasn't into the appointments because I said no to everything that they asked. They wanted to test everything. The only thing I said yes to because she really wanted to and my husband was really wanting me to was do a blood test to test for my iron. And I was like, okay, but it's fine. (laughs) So they tested and yeah, it was fine. Just like I knew. 
And so, yeah, I kind of, I kind of went through most of my pregnancy under the radar, even though I was like meeting her in the neighborhood here and there, we really didn't do anything. And then I started to look up, I don't even actually know how it came across, but I found Jeanine Parvati Baker's book, Prenatal Yoga and Free Birth. And I read her book and she has all of her birth stories in it. And she writes in there um, how birth shouldn't be an emergency and how when we call upon, you know, emergency workers like doctors or even midwives who view birth as an emergency, we're sort of bringing emergency into our birth, like the energy of it. And as soon as I read that, I just really resonated with Mm -hmm. that. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> I do want a home birth, but I didn't realize that I wouldn't want the midwife. Mm. And going with already firing one because I didn't like how she worked and keeping this other one, but still not not too sure that I wanted them there and not too sure what that's going to look like. Um, a friend of mine was pregnant, but she was, you know, six months more pregnant than me so she was almost about due but she was taking this um underground kind of birth class from this woman who is all into you know unassisted birth and free birth and so I tagged along to a couple of her kind of classes which were more like talks and she was just totally speaking the language of birth that resonated with me like I just came alive and I was like yes this is what I want this is totally what I want and I just, yeah, I just like tapped in. It was my first pregnancy. I don't, you know, no other children. I worked for myself at the time already. And so I had all the time to meditate and pray and dive deep within myself and connect with my baby and just like ask the universe if this is what I'm supposed to do, then like guide me, mm-hmm. you know, like show me what I need to do and the information I need. And yeah, just kept coming back to, this is what I want to do. And I'm not sure, should I fire my midwife, my other one? Should I let her know? Should I, what do I do? Do How do I convince my husband? You know, and so I was really nervous about that. But when I came to, to that like decision that I knew, I knew I didn't want to call the midwives. I knew I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the one calling the shots of my birth. Like, um, what a radical idea. Of, yeah, I know, right? I mean, everyone has to birth their own baby regardless of the situation. So <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I wanted no one to, like, tell me mm-hmm. um, what I needed to be doing. I didn't want people telling me the time. I didn't want people telling me if I was dilated or not dilated mm. or giving me a number. Yeah, I'm a very, like, abstract person already. I'm an artist. I make a living off my art. I'm not very linear, so to to bring that into birth, which is a very sacred, abstract, but, like, primal experience, I didn't want anyone, like, somehow bringing some sort of system into it. Well, and, and what I'm hearing also is that you already had connected to so much reverence of the birthing time and so much protectiveness, this, like, primal spiritual protectiveness over your own birth. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. I wish more women t- were, t- were tuned into that, you know, because from that space mm-hmm. of protectiveness and true honor of what this birth could be like mm-hmm. and what it deserves to be like, 
you know, you're able to make really intuitive decisions. Yeah. And I, yeah, for, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just also what I was doing in life. Um, I was already kind of doing that, like following my intuition and listening to myself. There was nothing else really challenging me. And when I, and I, and I thought of, you know, my own birth, I was born prematurely Mm. in an incubator for a month. My husband was born through cesarean section. I, from everything I had read about birth, I wanted to heal our births through our children's births. And that really also resonated with me so deeply that when I approached him and I was like, okay, this is a thing. And, you know, I'm kind of like a very passionate person and I get all these ideas, crazy ideas. And he's often just, you know, bringing reason or logic into it and like, you know, bursting a bubble or not. But I was like, okay, this is what, this is the deal. This is how I'm feeling. I really want to birth our baby just like me and you. I don't want the midwife. I don't want this. I don't want that. I want to heal from your birth. I want to heal from my birth. I want to stop that pattern of, you know, those experiences that our our moms experienced and maybe their moms experienced. And how was his response to that? Well, he just said, okay. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, what could he, when you frame it like that, what could he really say? No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, he just, it's like he trusted me from the very beginning and he didn't question it. And beautiful. That, that to me was, you know, that's an integral part of why I've been able to experience the birth that I've had because he has no doubt and he trusts me completely and he doesn't question. So to have that support, um, is, is ginormous. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can do it if you're fighting with your partner. Oh, me either. If the man can just support them and where the woman is comfortable, whether that be, you know, in the middle of nowhere in the forest to a hospital room, you know, because I've seen, I've seen it the other way where the dad was really adamant about having a free unassisted birth in the woods <laughs> and the mom really didn't yeah, feel comfortable with it too. and wanted to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she ended up in the hospital of course. Um, after laboring forever in the woods. Yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like it'd be great if, if women can be really like truly listened to for sure. Yeah, kind of on just um, like a that. global scale, <laughs> just kind of across yeah. the board yeah. if we yeah. could actually start Listen. listening to women. <laughs> what what if women got to make their own autonomous decisions about their bodies and babies? What a world. Yeah. <laughs> Not like being dream. run by men's control and fear, which just shows up yeah, in all areas. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, so thankfully yeah. you have a wonderful partner who was totally on board or got on board. Yes. Yeah totally on board. And I, I, I went through the rest of my, um, prenatal appointments, um, basically just, you know, going, she'd listen to the baby with a fetus go measure my belly, tell me my baby was head down and, you know, so on. Um, we moved a week before my first baby was born, um, into an apartment. So it was like two top floors of an old hundred year old house. And so we moved in, my midwife came to do the house um, appointment and she came up the stairs and the first thing she said when she saw me was, it's going to be hard to get a stretcher up the stairs. Whoa. And I said, why, why are you thinking of a stretcher? And she said, well, in case we have to transfer. And I said, but I'm not planning on transferring. 
I'm planning Ugh, on having so scary my baby at home. Yeah. And like the idea and of a she stretcher, said, well, like that that's what she's evaluating yeah. is you need, you might need to be taken out on a stretcher. Ugh. Yeah, I know. And so, you know, that, that gave way to a very long conversation, very tearful conversation with her. And I'm saying, I don't want your hand up my yoni. I don't want you checking my dilation. I don't want you timing my contractions. I don't want you doing anything. Can I write this all down and sign it as like a waiver to say, please just sit in the corner and hold space for me. Which is completely against like, their rules and regulations. Like, absolutely. I, yeah, they actually yeah. No, she can't started crying. Oh, no. That's what she said. She started crying and said, I can't do that for Aww. you. And I said, that's too bad. And, you know, she left. And then a few days later, I uh, I went into labor. And, and I didn't call her. Yeah. Because I was just kind of like, I'm not going to call her unless I need to call her. And it turned out that the woman who had, um, I had sat in some of those, prenatal birth classes, um, sort of like the underground birth classes, I asked her to come hold space if she would be comfortable with that. I said, I'm not planning on calling my midwife, but it's my first baby. I wouldn't mind, you know, another woman who sure. shared in like this birth world to come hold space. And she said she would, but she said, I'm only going to sit in the corner. If anything comes up that you need to make any decisions, if you're worried about anything, that is all up to you. I'm not making any decision for you. I'm not going to control your birth in any way. I'm simply just going to be. And I said, that's perfect. That's totally perfect. Mm -hmm. That's what and you wanted. So, that's what I wanted. Yeah. And so I started, <clears throat> I started feeling sort of like menstrual cramps at midnight. And I got out of bed. My husband was sleeping. I got out of bed. I spent the whole night with a candle and reading um, the sacred birthing book by Sunny Carl. Nice. Um, it was just filled with like really inspiring uh, writings from other women and like, I think a poem, I think there was a poem there that I was reading over and over all night in between my rushes. Um, so I would just be sort of in child's pose on my yoga mat with a candle on breathing through the rushes and then falling asleep in between I got up in the morning and made myself some food. And then I think it was around like 8.30 in the morning. And I thought, oh, I can't do this for myself anymore. Like, <laughs> I really need to focus on these waves of labor and not be like in the kitchen taking care of myself. So I woke my husband up and, and I actually asked him to cover all the windows. I wanted it completely dark. Um, so he covered up all the windows. The apartment was very dark. I remember him just sitting on the couch, just like chilling out while I'm like walking around. I was just like squat in between rushes. It was very gentle. It was very, mm -hmm. it was just like, I just went with it and nothing was really intense um, for the whole night. And then the next day, and then I called um, my friend to come hold space and she said she would. And I think she came around. Well, I don't know. It could have been like five o'clock or something. <clears throat> and she came and um, she just asked me, she just looked at me and said, how are you? And I said, well, fine. I just wonder if like why labor isn't like progressing more. Mm -hmm. Like I'm wondering if I'm like 
stopping it for whatever reason. And she just said, you're exactly where you need to be. And I said, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) You know, like, just like, okay, I'll just keep going then. This is great. This is exactly what needs to be. And she actually asked Graham, my husband, to take everything off the windows. Um, I think... I think they even like opened the window to like let air through because we had just moved a week before that. Um, she moved some boxes. She just kind of like allowed the energy to start flowing newly again. Mm-hmm. Makes such a difference. And made such a difference. Totally. And I had, you know, been laboring, so I wasn't really thinking about that. But as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, it felt so good. I just remember how the energy just flowed throughout the whole apartment again and it was like a breath of fresh air. And so then I started feeling way more, um, way more into the birth experience. And I remember her swaying with me a little bit. And then she's like, you should lie down on the couch and propped me up with a bunch of pillows. So I was totally propped up and I breathed, I breathed there for a while, um, until I felt like I couldn't lie down anymore. Um, the the rushes were definitely wanting to overcome me, and I remember I remember that making a decision. I thought, "Wow, this is getting really intense. I can fight this, and I think it's going to be really painful, or I can I can breathe through them and become like a part of them, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be painful." And so I remember just making that decision. It was and, a decision and that was that I just had to make. that was just like intuition for you, or had someone told you that? I guess you've read some yeah. books and stuff too, but it was mostly yeah. I had I had read books. Yeah, I had read books, but I guess yeah, no, it just it just kind of came to me. Um, That's awesome. That like, and I think, and I think the yeah the the a few like five days prior to going into labor. I think my baby was moving into position and pressing into one of my kidneys. And that was very, very painful. And so I kind of had already experienced like, like pain. Mm. And I knew that when that was happening in those days of that pain, I wasn't breathing into it. I wasn't being part of it. I was definitely fighting it and it felt very painful so in this moment when I knew that it could feel painful, I, it's sort of like I knew what to do. So I just made that decision to, to become a part of it and, and imagine myself part of it and bigger than it. So every time a rush would come, as I was slowly getting up off the couch because I couldn't lie down through them anymore, I imagined myself as a candle melting. So every time a rush would come, I, then I would just like, fall into it and then melt with it Hmm. and so it's just sort of this vision of being a candle and being (laughs) that melting wax um and that worked for me yeah that's nice I I got up off the couch yeah got onto my yoga mat my husband was on the birth ball you know leaning into him breathing um yeah so I just sort of stayed there until my baby was born I remember it getting really intense. I think I even bit my husband <laughs> on his shoulder. And in that moment, I thought, if he could just take over for, like, one minute, like, one minute, if he could just take <laughs> over, I'd be so much better. And then, of course, all of a sudden, you know, my water pops. 
and then I like birthed my baby's head and I didn't even mm. know. And my friend from across the room who throughout, you know, her time being there, I had heard her singing, you know, throughout just like holding space so beautifully. So my husband and I could be birthing our baby together. And I remember like her saying, feel your, like reach down and feel your baby's head. <laughs> Awesome. So I reached down, and sure enough, there's my baby's head. We're feeling wow. my husband reached down. We're feeling my baby's face. It was, like, so beautiful. Mm. And then I, like, was squatting on my yoga mat, and he just came, like, flying out. And my hand kind of guided him down, but he was birthed on my yoga mat. And wow. I picked him up right away and just yelled, you know, just, like, crying and kissing him and you know, sucking his nose a little bit with my mouth in case he was like mucusy. I had read about that. So mm-hmm. I just tried that. And, and that was just intuitive right for, away. You, for you to do. Just, yeah, just intuitive. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, nursed him right away. And, and that was the birth of my first son. Wow. And the placenta? The placenta with him, actually, I was, it was, it had detached, so it was, like, really heavily weighing um, on my perineum, and I just wanted it out. And I think because my friend was there, and she she had called another friend to come, like, help clean up that I had never met, um, which I had said was fine. And But I think that I was, I was, like, suddenly out of that birth energy. I was, like, in my thinking mind. I was like, get this placenta out now. <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. It's, it felt so heavy um, that, they, that they ended up calling another midwife friend that they knew. And the midwife friend asked if it was detached, and we said yes. And she's like, okay, well, then get her to, like, push like hell and, like, help pull it out. And so that's what they did. Because I think it would have been, like, 45 minutes at that point. Mm-hmm. I just really, really wanted it out. Yeah, so I bet. <laughs> And your bleeding was fine. Take this out. And my bleeding was fine. Yeah, totally fine. Um, Throughout my pregnancy, I drank nettle and raspberry leaf tea, like infusions. So I felt really confident that that would help my uterus and help, you know, prevent any hemorrhaging. So, yeah. And then we just, uh, I decided on the lotus birth with my first. And so we just, he was born at like 10 o'clock at night. And we just wrapped up the placenta and kind of bundled him up with it with a receiving blanket. We all went to bed and Hmm. ended up sleeping all night that first night. And yeah. Were you, were you planning on the, you were planning on Lotus birth? I was planning on it. Yeah. And and we ended up actually cutting the cord after 24 hours just because the cord was drying up and it Mm -hmm. was short. So it was like really awkward. Yeah. That's always how I picture it. In a bowl. Yeah. And breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, some people, it seems like it's fine, but when I picture it in my head, it seems like it would kind of be annoying, <laughs> but I yeah, love the and idea. it was, and yeah, me too. And so I think I just felt like energetically and I, and I talked to him and I said, is it okay if we cut your placenta? And, and I, and I thanked the placenta and we like cut it and he didn't even flinch and it felt fine. So, and then I don't know when his kind of, and fell off, mm-hmm. but it just falls off. On its well, own. and, and, you know, it's, they've found in recent years that stem cells are being delivered from the placenta to the baby for up to at least 12 hours postpartum. So, you know, keeping nice. it, yeah, keeping it attached, you know, for mm-hmm. 12 hours, at least, obviously you did a little longer than that. Yeah. It's kind of a, mm-hmm. why not? You know, it's, if, 
if they're yeah. getting, if yeah, they're still totally. receiving stuff, even if it's a, I just think that's so cool. Even if it's a seemingly like, well, dead's kind of the wrong word, but kind of flat, you know, cord, like the blood's done. Apparently mm-hmm. stem cells can still be getting passed. Wow. That's yeah, that's cool. So cool. I, I heard minimum four hours, but I like 12 hours. Yeah. I would advocate, I would advocate for as long as you can do it. It wow. feels good. What a beautiful story. Like as awkward as it is, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a really nice yeah. way to honor it and it's so gentle. And, you know, I've seen so many births in the hospital where the cutting of the cord is just so aggressive. And so, um, it's always like been this little thing at birth that hurts my heart when I see, just this total mm-hmm. lack of honor or, or, or like lack of any acknowledgement that when acknowledgement, you, yeah, totally. when you sever that cord, the baby is officially alone in the world, you know, I mean, like physically, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that that is yeah. a really big deal. And I just think it's so beautiful. I think so too. Yeah. When people take yeah. the time to really honor that and even, you know, of course they can, this can still be done at a hospital, you know, for anyone listening who's pregnant and is going to birth at the hospital, like you can still honor the cutting, you know, in a way where you say, or your partner says, okay, baby, we're going to cut this cord and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and really acknowledge it because it's, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) So how was your, how was your postpartum with him, with your first after this free birth? It was, it was great. I mean, I didn't really have a whole lot of postpartum knowledge, um, but I just, you know, took it easy. I didn't leave the house for like two weeks. Um, breastfeeding was not an issue at all. Um, I felt very grateful for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. My mom came and helped out. I just like, yeah, took it easy, stayed very warm. I did have that knowledge, uh, the mama baby roasting kind of idea. So I had this like heat lamp set up in our room and kept it very, very warm for two weeks of pretty much just being in bed and, and bonding with my baby. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Love it. And so then you went on to have your second baby six and a half years later. Yeah. Yeah. I always knew when I had my first, um, I had seen uh, a mama with an older kid and a baby. And I said, that's what I want. <laughs> I knew that's what mm-hmm. I wanted. I didn't, I <laughs> didn't want to have two babies that really needed me. I mean, for whatever labels are worth, I'm into, you know, attachment parenting. So it's not like I'm pumping and giving my baby to someone so I can go do something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, no, that baby's attached to me for a very long time. Yeah, that's how I feel. And that baby's sleeping with me all the time. And that baby's not given a soother. It's given my nipple. So it's like I'm pretty much just it's me and my baby for, you know, what seems like forever, which mm-hmm. is so beautiful. And it's also trying at times because, you know, you're really sacrificing your own you know, independent kind of self, but that's, it's what I believe. It's what I I want to do with, for my babies. And it's kind of the reason I didn't want to have them too close together. I also make a living off my art. So that truly is another child that I have to nurture. Um, Not only just for our own livelihood, but for my own sanity and for like who I am. So I didn't think that having two kids too close together was going to really even work for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had my second. We, he was consciously conceived uh, to the month. 
that I planned just because um, with our business, we do festivals in the summer. So I was like, well, I can't birth a baby in the summer. (laughs) And I don't really want to have like a postpartum festival tour. So we kind of planned to conceive in February. So we'd have a fall baby. So I was pregnant during that time of busyness. So that's what we did. And you conceived quite easily with that one? Yeah, just exactly the the month. That's so beautiful. I knew my cycles. Yeah, I don't know. I did fertility awareness for years. So I knew when I was ovulating. I knew when I was fertile. Yeah, so basically I just knew exactly when to make love to Mm. make a baby. That's so beautiful. So yeah, I found out I was pregnant. And yeah, just kind of right away knew that um, I wasn't going to register for a midwife. I thought mm-hmm. it'd be a waste of a midwife because so many mamas need one and want one. Mm. And I was just going to kind of deny all the tests yeah. and be annoyed and then not call them. Mm-hmm. And totally. so I, I didn't really want to waste one for a woman who really needed that care. And were, were you planning so, with this second one to have a traditional birth attendant again or just go it just yourself no, the second one I was planning on just myself yeah mm-hmm. my husband and I and and also um, I, wanted and I to, had a I had a oh, sorry we, I think we yeah. had a little bit of a of a um delay I delay. I also was wondering with I'm always curious when when people conceive so easily did you feel like how did you know it was time did you feel this little spirit baby you know kind of ready to come in and what was your if any what was your connection to this baby prior to pregnancy, the second one. Yeah, I know that's that's interesting. I, I read that all the time. And as much as, you know, even my, I feel like my babies chose their name, like throughout like my pregnancies with them. Um, and I really heard that. And I really like had messages given to me. Like the name just started coming through? Me. Yeah, like, yeah, messages through dreams, absolutely, um, were very clear to me. I never... I guess, yeah, I didn't, I don't know what brought the second one exactly then. I mean, my husband had already been ready to bring in another person. Um, I was, like, trying to overcome some, like, skin issues. So, like, I guess health-wise, I was wanting to just, like, kind of get a little bit, like, in a better place before I conceived another baby and I knew how much of a feat that was to like grow a person and birth a person and, you know, (laughs) raise that baby. So I was sort of like wanting to be a little bit more ideological about the timing about that. Mm -hmm. But my husband was ready. So I kind of knew that like, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was time. I don't know. I guess I just felt like it was time. Yeah. Okay. So, so you didn't want the gap to be, too big yeah. between them. So you knew mm-hmm. not to register with the midwife. And so what did you do with this pregnancy in terms of prenatal care, if, if any? What did that look like? Right. So I decided to just sort of piece it together myself. I had a friend that knew how to um, palpate and, like, feel for a baby. So I thought, well, I'll just get her to feel, like, later on in the pregnancy. And I already knew – and I already, like, didn't really care – about listening to heartbeats, even though I had a fetoscope. I tried a few times, but that baby did not want me putting (laughs) anything metal on my belly. Mm. Like, he would seriously, like, I don't even know where he would go. But he did not like it. So I... So you I didn't would, even try. You would and just I knew, put the I knew his heart was beating. <laughs> you would just put the stethoscope on your tummy, and you think that he knew and would like hide from you. 
Oh, absolutely. Every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How funny. Yeah. I've heard yeah. of them hiding from the I Doppler because it's so loud for them, but I, I didn't know that they would No, hide he from knew. Them. The fetus goes, he totally, yeah, he totally <laughs> knew. And so I was like, well, I know his heart is beating, so whatever. Yeah. I don't really care. And I don't really care how, you know, my belly is measuring because I know when I conceived and I know this baby's growing the way it needs to grow. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what other care you need. I mean, I, I piece together my own osteopathy, my own, um, massage. Um, I'm like pretty well versed in herbs. So, you know, I was drinking all my herbal infusions and, you know, certain tinctures and I don't, I just put together my own prenatal care that felt super wholesome Mm -hmm. and felt super nourishing and supporting for myself and my baby. Beautiful. And that pregnancy, I just read the two books that I felt inspired by in the last part of my first pregnancy. So I just pretty much read Jeanine Parvati Baker's books and her birth stories and the sacred birthing book by Sunny Carl. Um, those two books were just packed full of inspiring, supportive birth information that, you know, like helped me in mm-hmm. my journey of my second son. I don't even know if I said what I had my first pregnancy. <laughs> I had a boy, mm-hmm. the first pregnancy, and then the second, I, the second one, I, had a dream right at the beginning that I had a baby boy and he was curled around his placenta <laughs> and sort of this like white nest. So I was like, oh, okay, well this baby wants a Lotus birth. Too. Mm, so oh, funny. Scratch, scratch. Yeah. I tried looking up like how you could do a Lotus birth and keep the placenta cool, like kind of in a cooler so I could also encapsulate it and use it for medicine. Uh, but it just seemed so, so complicated. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to pull kind off. Of annoying, but yeah. I was like, yeah, and I was like, whatever, I'll just like do a lotus birth. This baby wants a lotus birth. So, yeah. Okay, so, so tell yeah, me, t- talk together. me through, tell me about that birth. Yeah, so I did my own prenatal care, and then um, his birth, his birth started at two in the morning. My water broke. I, I was getting up to go to the bathroom, and I sat up in bed, and just like this huge gush of water, like huge like I just I felt like I lost probably all the water (laughs) and I was really really big I was I'm big all my pregnancies I'm very very large for my for my frame my size and so I felt like because and actually that pregnancy we couldn't ever feel the position of him like he moved around so much he had like all the room in the world and he loved it that way (laughs) It was like a huge ocean just for him. Hmm. So when, when my water like just gushed out and labor didn't start, I was like, huh. My husband's like, what do we do? I'm like, well, we should just go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I went back to sleep, woke up the next morning. I'm still leaking so much water. And I was like, huh, this is so weird that my water broke and I'm not even in labor yet. And then the thought came to me, it's because he needs to get into position. Like he couldn't get into position with all that water. So he had to kind of like break it yeah. to get into position. So I like that. They're so smart, aren't like, they? Okay. Yeah, totally. They're just so and, smart. You know, throughout my pregnancies, I, I like really meditate and I tap into them and I listen to them and I and I tell them that they that yeah that they are smart. You're so smart. You know what to do. Please guide me. Like guide me and show me how to open so you can come into this world and do your thing. 
And I just felt like when I ask then, you know, what is this about? And that like message of, well, I need to get into position. I take that as complete, like a clear message. So I ended up making some food because I knew that I would be birthing a baby at some point that day, made some food for postpartum. I was actually working on a painting the last two weeks of that pregnancy. And so I just like went upstairs and painted and drank nettle tea. And then all of a sudden I kind of felt like I should lie, lie down. I was feeling spacey. I was feeling a little bit more like I couldn't focus. So I went and lay down in bed. I read to my six-year-old um, a book. I, like, didn't even get through that full book <laughs> until I had to, like, sit up. And I was like, whoa, I have to sit up already. I couldn't even, like, lie down. It's starting to feel really intense. And I was, like, kind of squatting, leaning into the wall through rushes. Um, my husband came and started reading to my son, and I just made sure I drank lots of water and was going to the bathroom. Um, and then soon enough, I was like, I asked them to fill the birth tub. I kind of knew it was time. So they felt they filled the birth tub and then they went downstairs. And I remember laboring up and down the hallway upstairs um, by the birth room. And through the rushes, I was just so loud. I remember <laughs> groaning and moaning and just almost yelling. And then it subsided, and I thought to myself, I am being so dramatic. <laughs> Why am I being so loud? And I just, like, it happened again. The wave would come, and I would just, like, roar. And I almost thought, like, I'm acting. Like, I'm I'm going through this, but I'm. <laughs> it's almost like I'm being more dramatic than I need to be. And I wasn't sure why. Hmm. And, you know, I found out, I found out very soon after that it was because that's that's my son that I was birthing. He is <laughs> way more dramatic than he needs to be. It was and coming he through. Was definitely, yeah, totally coming through. And so yeah, they filled the birth tub. I sat on the birth ball. Like my water broke again, like it had never broken before. I gushed so much water, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, this cool. thing is really starting to come." Mm-hmm. And I got into the birth tub. And it felt so good to be in water. I had planned a water birth with my first, but he came three weeks before his due date. So my tub hadn't arrived yet. So mm-hmm. that's why I didn't have a water birth with my first. Yeah, no one's ever then, ready at 37 yeah. weeks. No, no, it was exactly <laughs> at the end of 36 weeks I yeah. had my first. Um, and he was born like eight and a half pounds, totally fine. Nice, of course. Um, and then, yeah, so my second was two weeks after... That So I was like, I was at the end of 38 weeks with mm-hmm. my second. And yeah, I got into the birth tub and it was like time stood still. Like I was just squatting in that tub. I remember looking down in the water and it's like time just stopped. And I was just in this other world. And then I was feeling more, you know, pushy rushes. So I started pushing. I'm still I'm still on my own kind of at this point. My husband was reading to my son. Um, he had asked me, you know, like, what should we do with him? And in between rushes, I was like, oh, well, he can't go down the street. You know, they have piano lessons. Like, I was, I was being mom and birthing a baby at the same time. So <laughs> it was a really interesting uh, situation of yeah, being like, you don't no, get out of you know, being a mom. To, No, I'm like in my thinking brain trying to talk with my husband about what we should do with our Mm -hmm. six-year-old son. And then I'm like having to stop to go through rushes of like birthing this baby. 
yeah, it's pretty amazing, our bodies and, and what we can really overcome with just, like, our thoughts, you know. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I started feeling pushy. I asked my husband to put a show on for our son downstairs and really come upstairs. Like, I really needed to, like, hold on to his arm. I needed some grounding mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I couldn't do it. I just felt like I didn't want to do it on my own anymore. And so I leaned on his arm over the birth tub and I started totally pushing and uh, felt like maybe his head was coming. So I like slowed the pushing down so I wouldn't tear. I held um, my perineum with my hand so I, you know, hopefully wouldn't tear. And then I felt, you know, I didn't have a water birth for my first. So this baby was coming out and I felt down and it felt soft and squishy. And I thought, is this a bum? You know, we never, never figured out what position he was in. He moved around like a fish. You know, at one point in my, my pregnancy, there was like three points sticking up. And I thought, oh, dear, I'm not having twins. <laughs> I guess I'll find out in birth. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so he was just like all over the place. And I had no idea. And I thought, well, I've come this far. If this is the bum, fuck it. I'm just going to keep going. Totally. Well, yeah. To what are you going to do? <laughs> just like leave? <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't leave. So, yeah, I just followed the pushes that my body was doing naturally, and and then his head came out. I was like, oh, it's his head. <laughs> and then wow. I birthed the rest of him and, and pulled him, you know, just his head up out of the water and held him close, and that was pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got out of the tub and got onto the bed and actually birthed the placenta within – probably like 15 minutes um, after he was born. And, and again, I did a lotus birth, um, had no, no problems with breastfeeding him either. Awesome. And his lotus birth lasted two and a half days. So wow, almost three days. Um, and then it was just getting too awkward. My husband really wanted to hold him without being attached to placenta. <laughs> I bet. Um, my son, my six-year-old son was kind of done with a placenta smell being in the room, even though it was, like, covered in rosemary. So, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, fine, universe. So we ended up um, burning his cord. Mm-hmm. And, again, I talked to him and I said, we're going to detach you from the placenta. Thanks to the placenta, burned it. And then, you know, within hours, he kicked his own part off. So he actually would have – we probably would have done, like, a full lotus. Oh, true, yeah. If we would have waited for, like, five more hours. <laughs> But, like, it's not a competition, but, like, in your head, you're like, but if we can just do a full one, that'd be so cool to experience. But I just, I truly believe through my experiences that no matter how many hours you leave that placenta attached, I like to honor that, and I like to call it lotus birth. Mm -hmm. And even if it's partial lotus birth or, what, what you know, whatever you decide to do or whatever happens, I think that it's important to honor it as much as like a full one. Absolutely. And I don't think, I mean, I personally don't think it makes it less of a full one. I think it's about what works for your family with that birth and baby. And I think that's very legit, you know, that your husband was like, okay, I'm done like (laughs) dealing with this second thing and, you know, with, with all your different pieces. Totally. I still think. Well, and it's funny because he's not the one breastfeeding. He actually doesn't have the most cumbersome job of it. It's me. You know, but it's, it was interesting that he was just like, ah, like it just really hard. It was yeah. really hard for him. I could tell. So I honored that too. And sure, so we exactly. burned it after two and a half days. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then I thought I was... Do you have any questions about that one? No, it was beautiful. I can totally picture it. Yeah, and it was so... It's funny because it was so short. His birth was three hours, you know, from for me, you know, rushes starting to him being born was three hours. And, um, it was so short. My first, my first son's birth was 23 hours. And even though it was 23 hours, it was so, so chill and relaxed. And I just followed the rushes until like active labor at the end. I just, it was like, kind of like his personality. My first son is very, observant and quiet and chill and he takes you know he takes his time with things and I just felt like his birth was a complete reflection of his personality and then my second son is completely the opposite he's wild he's loud he's dramatic he's passionate and that's how I birthed him you know (laughs) I was just like roaring like a mother lion and then like laughing at myself for being so dramatic and you know that's the kind of person he is so I just found that really interesting yeah and since then I've wondered how much um other people have noticed if their births have like reflected their baby's personality or not I mean I hear a lot of people say that mm-hmm. yeah I definitely cool. hear a lot of people comment on that so nice I wouldn't yeah be there surprised. must be something to it well, and yeah. I mean, and then, what, are we, what are we talking about? Like, of course, the baby's energy, you know, of course, the baby's personality. Right. No, totally. You know? like, it's kind of like, why are we even questioning it? You know, that's. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's just like, it seems far out because, you know, it doesn't get talked about that often. Yeah. Well, and I think um, it's a lot harder to let the personality or even letting the baby like participate if you're numb and getting induced, you know, and having like heavy management, you know, you don't really get to see it. So, you know, there's only like statistically, there's like a very small statistic of women who are actually fully experiencing and having normal labor. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's probably why it seems far out, even though it should be totally. Well, I mean, even look at, look at free birth, like this is, Free birth should just be called birth. You know, this is birth. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, <laughs> totally. obstetrical, obstetric assisted or midwife assisted birth should be called assisted birth. You know, yes, of course it's mm-hmm. all birth. Like we don't need to like make some crazy line in the sand around it. It's all birth. But at, you know, the fact that free birth gets considered so radical and it's like so fringe, it's like, no, actually it's the most basic straightforward, original, you know, ancient, you know, normal birth. And it's everything else that's a little, even just because, even though it's become normalized, it's certainly the more complicated and extreme. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, when I was pregnant with my first son, what sort of helped me um, fall into that place of, no, I can do this without um, anyone kind of controlling Mm -hmm. uh the process for me was you know uh, what about these women and tribes you know all over the world what about like how the human race even continued (laughs) you know it was never all it wasn't always controlled and 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 i think like going out into the bush and birthing their baby and women still birth that that way and i think you know and it's an interesting thing because the criticisms that i read around free birth is People saying things like, how dare you 
decline medical assistance when women don't have access to that in other parts of the world. You know, it, 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 it's a ridiculous way of thinking, but you know, it, it's, yes, it is privilege. It's a hundred percent privilege that we get to make these choices. And if something went yeah. wrong, we could fall True. back on the medical model. Like, yes, that is privilege. But does that mean we shouldn't be able to exercise our privilege? Like it's not hurting anybody. Like this is, this no. is a yes, and yes, there are women who are quote unquote forced to free birth around the world because maybe they would choose medical assistance and they don't have access to it, and that sucks. You know that that's that's not great. And yes, some women, mm-hmm. you know, wind up having obstructed labors or because they have um, harm from the way that they've been treated. You know, like fistulas and, and horrible things, and their labors are much more complicated. Like yes, those things are real, and those things happen in third world. Mm-hmm. You know. Countries countries, but it just, it, it's, it's interesting because at the end of the day, like, you know, women like you and I, who are well aware of our privilege, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. we, why should we not get to choose to opt out of a model that doesn't work for us because other women don't have access to it? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. No, no, but that just goes along with, you know, you have to kind of think for yourself in life yeah. in general. <laughs> that, whole, that whole thing. Outside, outside of birth, yeah. That whole outside thing. Okay, so take me, take me yeah. to, your, to your third birth. Yeah, so I, I had every intention of only having two children. Um, I had, like, done fertility awareness for years, so I knew my cycle. I knew when I was fertile, not fertile. I mean, that's how I conceived both of my boys um, with my cycles. And so, yeah, kind of fast forward. Um, my second baby is uh, three. He's like almost four. And I find out I'm pregnant. And it was a huge wow. surprise. And it was literally seven days before I ovulated. But that sperm. Wow, <laughs> <waited>. super sperm. <laughs> Yeah, super sperm. And I just, yeah, now I realize, like, this baby was so meant to be. Mm. And, yeah, I just I just thought, okay, I'm pregnant, and this must be the girl. Like, this must be a girl. I have two boys. I just felt like, yeah. And then I, at the very beginning of my pregnancy, um, her name came to me, mm. uh, Wynn. Um, and I was just like, okay, this is my baby girl, Wynn. Cute. And all my dreams were girl. The boys knew they were having a sister. Um, I kind of didn't want to like fully commit, yeah. you know, to until the baby was born. I was very prepared. I very came to uh, like a huge piece at the beginning. You know, if I, this is my third boy, I am so prepared to raising a tribe of boys. I think uh, everything is beautiful either way it goes, but yeah, everyone kind of knew it was a girl. And again, I thought, well, I mean, I guess I've had unassisted births. So I'll do the same this time again. So this time I didn't even have um, a friend. Like my second, my second birth, I had a friend who was sort of more into um, birth than you know your average person, and she had had an unassisted birth, um, half sort of with her first. She had a midwife, but she didn't come into the room, and then the second was fully unassisted. So I had asked her to come hold space, but. Because my second son's birth was so quick, she was just kind of there at the end, like after he was born. So she wasn't, yeah, she did. She wasn't really even there to hold space. Mm-hmm. I kind of was on my own until my husband came at the end. Hmm. So with this 
third baby, I decided to just, you know, my vision was to be me and my husband while the kids were either sleeping or, you know, something. I had this vision of having this baby like early in the morning or in the middle of the night because both boys had been born at um, the first one 10 o'clock at night and the second one six in the, six o'clock in the evening. So they're kind of born in the evening and I had this vision of this baby being born in the morning and with just me and my husband. But I had a, like a huge group of friends to call upon if I felt like I needed their support as well. So I kind of put that into place. But I did my own prenatal care again with osteopathy and massage and body talk and my own yoga practice. And I like um, dancing and hooping. And so I just kind of, you know, took care of myself again the same way, Um, drank all the herbal infusions and ate all the best food that I could. Um, And then her birth, it started at uh, four in the morning. And I was just sort of like, I let my husband sleep. I was on all fours, rocking uh, throughout each contraction, wave, rush, whatever you want to call it. And I'd go to the bathroom, make sure I was peeing, and I'd drink water, make sure I was drinking. Um, You know, quite simple. Like, for me, birth is quite simple. Just, like, make Mm -hmm. sure you're peeing so you're not having a full bladder and drink water. Stay hydrated. (laughs) So I just, and, and go with it, you know, like flow with the rushes that are given to you. That's your and book. I it's, your thought. book is three lines. That's my book. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. Drink water, and, make yeah. sure you go pee and just, <laughs> and just freaking go with it. <laughs> yeah. Just go with it. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> know that your baby knows what to do and you have to be that like vessel that opens for them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, even with my second baby's birth, I, I had this like birth song um, going over and over in my head. And the lyric, you know, part of the lyrics are, I'm like opening, opening, I'm opening. And so that just kind of went over and over in my head with my second son's birth. And so the third, the third baby, the same thing, I'm opening, I'm opening. And I just like visualized my cervix just opening. And at some point I woke up my husband. I was like, um, I think you need to wake up now. I've been going through rushes for maybe an hour and you should fill up the birth tub. I think like, I'm not sure, but I think so. And he's like, oh, okay. So he got out of bed. He's like, I filled up the birth tub with water. That morning, I was, like, so done being pregnant. Um, I was only at 39 weeks, but I get so, so ginormous with my pregnancies that I couldn't even walk the kids to the park anymore. I was done. So that morning, I'm like, screw it. This baby's coming now. Like, fill the birth tub. Like, get the birth tub set up. Like, it hadn't even been set up yet. (laughs) So we set up the birth tub that morning, just, like, filled it with air. And I decided to just, you know, take care of myself all day. I homeschool my kids. I just let them, like, be on the computer. I went for, like, a very short, slow walk. I had a bath. I drank a gin and soda. I was just like, this baby is coming. (laughs) I'm so done being pregnant. I'm just going to drink gin in the empty birth tub all day until this baby comes. So I guess that worked because my water broke at 11 o'clock that night. And just like my second baby, I thought, well, it could take a while until I'm in labor, so I'll just go to bed. Went to bed. Like I said, rushes started at 4 in the morning around. I don't have a clock in there, but I think that's about the time. And my husband was filling up the birth tub, so I was, like, going in between my room and the bathroom, making sure I was peeing and drinking water, just like my book says. (laughs) And then he went 
down with our four and a half year old and was hanging out with him downstairs. And I was upstairs. I got into the tub and that felt so good. And I checked in with myself because, you know, I've read that you can stall labor if you get into the tub too early. So I wanted to make sure that it was the right time because I'd only been in labor for like an hour and a half or something like that. And I checked in, I, you know, I got another rush. It was a little bit more intense and I thought, okay, no, I'm supposed to be where I'm at. Like totally labor is progressing. And so again, it happened in the tub that happened the second time was that it seemed like time just stood still. I was in this like zone where everything just kind of froze. Felt like an eternity. And I decided to sing two of the birth songs that I had sang throughout my pregnancies, all of them. And so I just sang fully like the two songs that I like sang like over and over again in my pregnancy. It was so beautiful. I had candles lit. I had my crystals all set up. I had like Christmas lights up. It's just so, it was such a beautiful space. I had was burning sage and it was a really beautiful space. And I was up there alone and singing my birth songs. And then more rushes came and I started feeling pushy. I was like, oh, good. I'm feeling pushy. This baby's going to come. <laughs> just like my second baby. Because, you know, births are all the same. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I started feeling pushy. My husband kept coming up, asking if I need, like, offering me water. And he came up after I started feeling pushy. And I held on to his hand through it. He went back down. But I said, can you please put a show on for Ari, our four-and-a-half-year-old? I just really need you up here next time you come up. So he came up, and I was really pushing. And then I thought, oh, boy, like, why am I not feeling the head yet? I reached down, and I couldn't feel anything. And I thought, my mind started going, am I pushing against a tilted cervix? Or am I pushing against a cervix that's not fully opened? Or, like, anything that I've read about complications was going through my head. And I thought, okay, so I just prayed and I tapped in. I said, like, I just prayed to the universe, to God. I tapped in with my baby. Can I, can you please show me what's going on? Hmm. And the only vision I got were these two hands together as if they were guiding my baby down. And I was like, okay, so yes, again, I need to keep going. Not that I had a choice, (laughs) but that whatever I was doing was what I needed to be doing. And so I just kept going through the pushes that my body was doing naturally and finally felt a head. I'm like, Oh, here's the nice. head. I like told my husband, I feel the head and, you know, slowly tried to push. So I wouldn't tear again, put my hand on my perineum. So I wouldn't tear, ease the baby's head out as best as I could. I felt the ring of fire. Like I hadn't felt my other two, my other two births. And I was like, Whoa, this is the ring of fire. Okay. I accept you. You're really intense, mm. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't going to last. And then I felt her shoulders come out and then her body and I, I, she kind of floated in water and I guided her to my breast and just kind of got her head out of the water with her body still in and just, you know, soaked up that beautiful baby bliss that happens. And then, yeah, called the boys up to come see their new baby. And then my oldest said after a while, well, is it a boy or a girl? And I was like, oh, I didn't even look. And I look at her face, and I thought, this is so a girl. And I mm-hmm. look, and I'm like, sure enough, here's your baby sister. Yeah, you knew. Yeah, yeah. And then my, yeah, my 11-year-old and my husband helped me out of the tub and went to my bed the next room. And, yeah, it took about an hour for my placenta to be born again. But I took I took a tincture. I think it's shepherd's purse tincture. Um, 
that I took, and then within like 15 minutes, my I burst the placenta, and it was fine. It wasn't like my experience with my first. Yeah. Um, I was like, I kind of knew. I was like, no, this placenta will come out. Mm-hmm. Just have patience. Kind of like a little bit more relaxed about it, nice. knowing that it's fine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, bleeding was all like normal, and we just had like a beautiful. She was born at 7:30 in the morning. Um, so we had a beautiful day that just really stood still um, of family bonding, and it was so beautiful. Gosh. Wow. So I don't know. Those are my birth experiences of just being at home and birthing my babies and being with my family, and I can't imagine it any other way. I feel completely grateful, completely blessed. Um, I guess some people have called me lucky, and I don't really like the lucky thing because I feel like I felt throughout each pregnancy that if something was wrong or if something was like not how it should be, that I was strengthening my intuition, not only in my life, like aside from birth, but definitely throughout each pregnancy. And I would know if I had to transfer myself to a hospital. And, and we, I, and we have to, in, we have to know? believe that, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I think it comes down to for women who, who do this. Like we, we have to, or we choose to believe that, well, A, what will be, will be, you know, and B, that will know. And, and you know what? Not everyone's right. You know, some people do lose babies, you know, that's a real thing. And, you know, I always feel like I have to say this around the lucky topic that I don't like that word either. I think it's kind of irrelevant, but Mm -hmm. we, we can do everything that feels right to us and we could still lose our baby. And that is true in every type of situation. You know, that is true for the mm-hmm. hospital, that is true for midwife assisted, that is true for birth center, that is true mm-hmm. for home, you know, unassisted. And so, you know, I, the word luck is just kind of like, it to me, it's like nothing. It's like a childish word. It doesn't really mean anything. You know, yeah. it's that you had yeah. three souls who wanted to be here and who, you know, did well and you created the environment that best served them by listening to your intuition. Mm -hmm. You know, I always fall, I always Mm -hmm. think about one of the women I interviewed for a podcast who did four unassisted home births. And she said, even if my child died, I would still know that I had set up the safest environment for them. And that just really blew me away Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I feel that, you know, that if, if, if this is what feels safest to us, it is. And even if there is an less than perfect outcome, it still was the safest if that's what felt right for you to do. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Well, yeah, it does. And, you know, that was part of my process with my first pregnancy with having the midwives and really feeling like I wanted to free birth my baby. Um, is going is like that that was one of the fears is like well how if my baby dies well that's part of life it's death and life and I had to go through that fear and accept it accept that my baby might die Mm -hmm. and going through that and going through that fear and living it in my mind was enough to come to peace with that Mm -hmm. and be and trust everything Mm -hmm. and even throughout all pregnancies I mean just because I had free births my first doesn't mean I didn't have fears in my second. And just because I free birthed my first two doesn't mean I didn't have fears with my third. I think 
Jeanine Parvati Baker said, you know, it's, you have to, there's a red flag if a woman doesn't have a fear, mm. but what you can do with that fear is be empowered by that fear. And that's what fears do. They empower you to become stronger they can. and more trusting. Or they could totally they debilitate you. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I guess for me, I was able to transfer my mm-hmm. fears into empowerment for myself and every fear that would come up. I would kind of That's check the in. Work. Is this my mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this like my mind or is this an actual like intuitive mm-hmm. fear? And, and either way, you just, you, you play it through. Okay. What happens if I have to transfer, you know, my last, this last pregnancy is my third pregnancy. I would have like thoughts, you know, going to bed, you know, cleaning up before bed. And I would look at my poncho and think, well, I should have that ready by the door in case I need to transfer mm. to the hospital. Like, I'd have these little thoughts that would sneak in. And I'm like, well, why am I thinking that? Mm. Is that like an actual fear that I should be listening to or is that my mind? Mm-hmm. And I would, able to, I would be able to differentiate, but I'd also walk through that fear. Okay, I'm imagining myself in labor, imagining myself going downstairs, picking up my poncho, putting it on, going into the car with my husband, like going to the hospital. Like I would put all of that. I would play it all out in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I'd already lived that fear. I didn't have to keep it anymore. It was done. Beautiful. That's awesome. And that was always very helpful. Well, and that's the thing, right? Fear can be, fear is a red flag that there's work to be done, right? And so fear is not meant to be um, debilitating you. It's not meant to hold you down or any of that. And and I think, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast or before. Or decisions from. Totally. Well, mm-hmm. 100%, not that. Yeah. And I, and I think that people may assume that free birthers are fearless and that's not the case at all. It's just, you know, I'll speak for no. myself that fear is not making my decisions. Like, of course, there's some nervousness about certain things. And of course, like my mind Mm -hmm. wants to run sometimes. And, and there are, you know, we'd be crazy to not think out every little thing. And some of those scenarios are scary, of course. But I also, you know, have a lot of faith and a lot of trust and a lot of willingness, Mm -hmm. you know, to let go. And that trumps the fear you know, and that's, that's what I really think this is about. It's not that fear is absent. It's that fear is a flag for work and you did that work and, you know, and, and, and your birth speak to it. You had beautiful, relatively easy and simple, um, no complications, Mm -hmm. you know, super empowering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. you, you're such an example as many women that I interview with this podcast, you are such an example of, the ability and willingness and courage to listen to your own intuition and let that be the truest captain, you know, and the truest guide. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, look, and look what at it what it, it's exactly what it is and look at what you created mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, even, even this last pregnancy life wasn't, you know, maybe as like easy as, you know, my last two pregnancies had been. And so, I thought of that too, because I'd always thought birth is so psychological. It's so in your head Mm. that I thought, well, if I'm going through more of a stressful time, how is this going to impact my birth? How is this going to reflect on how my birth is? And, you know, for a while there, I was actually really worried about that. And then I also realized that, well, that's a story that we tell ourselves that doesn't actually have to play into it at all. Nothing's actually real. (laughs) No. No, nothing. Is, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And like, you know, and, and when fears came up about like, oh my gosh, you know, 
I'm having my baby at home again by myself. I, I thought, well, what would happen if I had a doctor or a midwife and I was, you know, doing it that route or going to the hospital? I'd actually have way more fears. Mm, so gosh. I knew that I was still in the right the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not for every woman either, but Obviously. it definitely yeah. was for me. Totally. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing definitely is, you know, all all that I want with this podcast is to help normalize that this is a perfectly acceptable option for the women that want it. Mm. You know, there's no part of me or anyone that I've talked to that free birth that thinks everybody should do it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like vegetarianism. Like I'm a vegetarian. Do I think everybody should be? Of course not. That's ridiculous. I don't know what's right for anybody Mm. else, but for me, there's no way in hell I'm going to eat animals. I think that's absolutely disgusting, but you know, as long as this is to me, like, really the essence of maturity if if we could ever get there as a culture you know of I do me you do you I literally don't care what you do as long as you're not like you know yeah I guess like hurting anyone or being an asshole but you yeah. know it, this is this is the right thing for us and the women that we know and and are in this free birthing community and that should be you know, perfectly acceptable, just as we know it's perfectly acceptable for someone to go birth at a hospital or, you know, whatever they need to do, have an elective C-section or agree to an unnecessary induction. You know, if that's what is going to make them Mm -hmm. feel the safest and the most right in their heart for their family, that's what needs to be done. End Mm -hmm. of discussion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. Well, I love your stories. They're such examples of yeah, just listening to yourself and reaping the benefits of, of doing that and just creating such beautiful births and, you know, birth just really protects and provides when you listen to it. And you certainly yeah, are an example. It totally of that. does. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing these stories. I'm sure people will find them very inspiring. Yeah. Thanks for asking me. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.